Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here joining me on the show. Ian Harditz from Pro Football Focus Fantasy Podcast. And you just published also at PFF.com your 50 top fantasy players. What is up, Ian? How are you? Top 200, Matthew. It's August. We got the oh, we got, we got the I'm big sorry. guns out. You're good. You're good, man. I am doing great. Officially got football this week. I know it's just the Hall of Fame game, but as someone that spent, you know, way too much time watching the USFL, I will take what I can get here. It's at least a little better than, uh, you know, just one training camp report after another. Not that I don't appreciate you and everyone else in the industry doing a great job with it, but I just want lights. I want live game action. Is that too much to ask, man? You you don't factor a whole lot there, right? When you're doing your your fantasy rankings and everything else, when you're like, oh, look at this highlight of this play, and this guy did this. No, I mean, look, I, I do think all of it can be useful to an extent, but, I mean, we just got to be careful, man. I saw the one report yesterday. Um, I won't throw anyone under the bus because I, I, I don't know what they heard. I was not Chargers camp, but we have one reporter saying that Isaiah Spiller had gotten every single, like, first. He was the only backup running back in first team reps, and he was the clear number two behind Austin Eckler. That would be something great to know. But then, as I'm scrolling through, shout out at 32 uh, Beat Writers, the Twitter account. They compile everything. Amazing job by them. I'm scrolling through that, and I see another Chargers beat reporter talking about how Larry Roundtree had been running with the ones and having a good day. So, one of those things where I think you need to uh, – to your point, treat a lot of it with a grain of salt. Ultimately, we're looking for anything that helps us with the depth chart. And that's why the starter series of preseason games are what end up ultimately mattering the most. Who is actually out there with the starters? Who's getting starter treatment and maybe resting? At the same time, you know, maybe Ramondre Stevenson going first in a random ass drill doesn't mean he's actually the definitive RB1 now. Maybe Miles Sanders is ha- happening to run with the twos one day doesn't mean he's the backup running back now. Just make sure to, uh, you know, ap- approach cautiously. Yeah, and mistakes get made sometimes because you can't go back and review the tape. So sometimes you might think like, oh, that guy was out there for this many and it was only one. And so you're saying in your report, like, oh, it looked like he was taking first team reps because it was just one that you remembered and you were looking somewhere else. Like it's hard to look in 22 places at once when you're covering (laughs) plays. So you kind of go on who's standing out. But I've always gone mostly on who's lining up where and how often. And, and then you try to pick up on like, hey, this guy was used during a situational drill. Like maybe there's something there, but it's usually the accumulation over an entire camp. So if it's, you know, 14 padded practices or whatever, and somebody's mixing in with the ones, especially later on over and over, you're like, okay, maybe there's something going on there, but especially this early you're right. Like some, somebody could have had to use the bathroom and somebody else <laughs> has to take their, their rep. That does happen. Uh, it's a little bit of a long walk off the field to the restroom. And and so, you know, you will see that uh, sometimes that reports get thrown out there, but I think that it probably is the hardest to figure out, like, is the team doing something serious here? Because we've had full on position battles where we've tracked it the whole year and then the, or the whole camp. And the one guy gets cut. It'll just be like, wait, he was battling for first team reps and then they cut him at the end because they wanted to see if he could handle the first team competition. If he couldn't, they were going to cut him. So you really never know what the team is thinking. You're only trying to kind of put together pieces. And that's why it's important. I think what you said before, where 
if it is something they've been saying the entire offseason from March through August again and again and again, now maybe I'm more willing to trust what they have to say. Cliff Kingsbury will not stop saying good things about Rondale Moore. He hasn't done it all. He hasn't stopped all offseason. Ever since Christian Kirk left, he's been saying Christian was that guy. Now Rondale is going to be that guy in the slot. Sounds pretty good to me for someone going outside the top 50 wide receivers right now, man. And just looking at the personnel moves. And I know some people have, you know, come back at this point and just ask like, well, what did Cliff say about Rondale last year? And right after the draft, man, he basically said, we have DeAndre, we have AJ, and then Rondale kind of gets in the next group. And a lot of us were like, wait, did he just crown AJ Green over Rondale Moore there? And he, he did. So I don't know why he did, but he did. And he told us he was going to. So I do feel like we can't actually trust a little bit what Cliff is going to say. Again, what he's been saying it all offseason long. But um, also your point about where players line up is interesting because every year in this time, we always get the, oh, this backup running back, seeing more work out of the slot, seeing more work as a wide receiver. With that said, man, Tony Pollard and Naeem Hines, they're two of the rare running backs that could actually pull that off. I think they're good enough receivers. They're electric enough in space to actually do that. And look, I think we've beaten the dead horse enough. The Cowboys are not going to bench Zeke for Tony Pollard as much as we would like them to do that. Will the Cowboys play Tony Pollard behind guys like Noah Brown, TJ Vasher, Jalen Tolbert and stuff, though? Because at this point, like, are they going to bring in a second tight end? Is Jake Ferguson going to be keeping Tony Pollard off the field? Because behind CeeDee Lamb, man, that wide receiver room is as unproven as pretty much anyone in the league at this point. I think there's a similar sentiment in the Colts wide receiver room outside of Michael Pittman. So Naeem Hines, Tony Pollard, I am interested to see a little bit of preseason uses out of them because – there aren't many running backs, again, that I think can really impact the game as a true receiver. A lot of guys can catch swing passes, but to actually go out there and cause matchup problems, I think Pollard and Hines are two of the few, and I would love to see their respective offensive coordinators get creative with it. I mean, I, I feel like we're not that far away from football embracing more of a positionless style offense, and those running backs that can do it all, man. We saw what Debo did last year. I'm not saying either Pollard, Nine Hines, or Debo, but the more players you can have out there that can do – multiple things at a high level, I can only imagine that's going to cause even more and more issues for the defense. And I know you, and I know what you're alluding to also is Cordero Patterson. Of course, <laughs> we, yeah. I mean, it that that I, here's one thing I would give the Vikings, even though they completely botched Cordero Patterson and his usage. It is very unusual for somebody to be multi-positional in any way, because like what you're talking about, I mean, you're just, you're, playing some of my favorite notes from this show where I talk about how like they're not sending Delvin cook on go routes. Like maybe they could use them over the middle a little more on quick passes, but there's just not running backs that are going downfield. This thing that we talk about, like, Oh, one player did this. So now like McCaffrey, now everyone's going to start lining up in the slot. Like, no, those are two different jobs. And usually people can't do them. <laughs> like normally these guys, I'll tell you what though, Dalvin's brother can do those things. That was fun to watch uh, him do that. At Georgia a little bit. I'll be very interested to see if the bills, you know, it's one of those things where uh shout out Dre McFarlane, my uh, co-host in the PFF fantasy football podcast, but he's brought up the point, you know, Cam Newton never threw the running backs until we got Christian McCaffrey. So I know the Buffalo Bills backfield, like it's, it's so brutal, man. They're literally uh, in terms of expected fantasy points. So not what they did, which that's not that great either, but just their workload. 
31st in the league over the past two years. Like you see the Bills down there with the Texans, the Giants, and just these atrocious offenses. And you're like, wait, why is Buffalo down there? But it's just because in some of these offenses with the mobile quarterbacks, they scramble instead of checking the ball down. And then they're basically just another piece of the committee uh, once you get to the goal line. So now, yeah, it's, and we've been getting those Dalvin reports too. I even saw he uh, tweeted out a picture of himself or not a picture, a video of him uh, catching a downfield pass. So we can, we, we can always dream about it, but it is funny how that, uh, you know, one storyline always tends to creep its way into August. I also love the uh, disparity in opinion on the weight stuff. Like Rashad Penny gained like 10 pounds to 236, and it's a great thing. Uh, Leonard Fournette gets up to 260. It's a terrible thing. When Derrick Henry was 260, it was a great thing. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson loses seven pounds. Like, man, I, I, like Matthew, if, if, I'm not sure if you played football back in the day, but you remember some of those two – if not, then those two of day practices, man, you could regularly lose seven pounds like in the course of one day. So I was just like, did this dude just go out the first day of practice, cut some water weight, and now it's literally an offseason uh, storyline about it. So again, though, as uh, quirky as some of the stuff is and as much as I don't think it has anything to ultimately do with what's going to happen in fantasy football this year, I just love being able to now talk about how football in the news all day. Not like it really stopped throughout the uh, rest of the year, but man, it is now here more back than ever well in the locker room they have uh you know they have the scale there and just when you're meandering around waiting for interviews and stuff i'll see guys come and step on the scale and sometimes i'll you know peek over at the number or whatever let's just say it rarely matches up with what the number <laughs> that is on their pro football reference page like and, and in some cases it's more and in some cases it's way less which is usually what it is by the end of the season it's usually way less I think a lot of these guys try to load up on muscle, you know, to start the season, because as you go along, it's not like you can build or even sustain the level that you have in the off season when you're not going through yeah. the weekly grind of everything else. So it is, it is kind of an interesting thing when we talk about this guy weighs this amount, this guy weighs that amount. Um, and Lenny's always been big anyway. So I think, yeah. I think Lenny's going to be Lenny. But uh, I Bro, there's some- uh, sorry. Uh, l- 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 last thing, just the weight about guys lying about it. Because Cavante Turpin, who won USFL MVP, the Cowboys just signed him uh, to be kind of their. It's gonna be like Lucky Whitehead 2.0, I think. He's gonna be like a returner, fifth wide receiver. Not gonna make a big impact, but this dude listed at one. 1- 55 I, I was furious the entire usfl season i was like just write 170 bro like you're not gonna get an nfl opportunity at 155 pounds credit to the cowboys for doing it anyway and that that was the whole thing with you know Devonte smith last year it was like really he's 168 169 like darnell mooney was 176 like are we really gonna let five six pounds in either direction like completely swing our opinion on a player maybe 20 years ago i mean you remember how those games uh i i would see you I, I love you and eric eager always tweeting about the old games and stuff i mean you know you, you throw a pass over the wide receiver's head that's nowhere near him the safety's taking his head off anyway like just because he happens uh to be standing in the wrong place so it really is more and more i think uh, in the year 2022 a, a, a game tailor suited for uh, some of the lighter players out there so as much as uh you know i still think there's something to be said for the big badass wide receiver the drake london's of the world you know just because you're a great contested catch artist doesn't mean that you can't separate uh it's just it, it is funny how those uh, weights end up getting listed i sure a lot about it in high school so <laughs> well back in my day 
they did have some small undersized wide receivers still. Uh, the only difference is that you would never hear on a broadcast today, this guy's not afraid to go over the middle. But you would <laughs> you would hear that on every broadcast. It would be like, Andre Reed's not afraid to go over the middle, or Chris Carter or somebody's going to take big hits there, where now it's like no one can hit anybody and everybody right. goes over the middle, which is why passing is a lot easier. But that's fun for people like yourself who study the fantasy game. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to do a fantasy simulation lineup. Not, I'm not going to go super deep and have like seven flex positions or whatever you call. We'll just do the basic like quarterback, couple running backs, receiver, and a tight end, and uh, maybe like three kickers. That's how we'll do it. <laughs> and uh, then we could, but we could talk about throughout the way, like uh, what it means for some of the Vikings guys, where they're kind of ranked or where you would put them cool. uh, and things like that. So I've started the, we do uh, draft sims, so now there's a mock draft sim for fantasy. Uh, so I've so I've kicked it off, and in this draft simulation, Delvin Cook went number two overall with only Jonathan Taylor wow. going ahead of him. Is that ridiculous to have Delvin Cook number two overall, especially since it does seem like they're going to three wide receivers more, kind of a pass-first approach? Like I think he could still have a really good season as far as being effective at winning football games, but I don't know if I would go number two overall here. Yeah, I'm not too worried about the increased use of 11. If anything, you know, we were joking before about him getting more downfield opportunities, but we know Dalvin can catch the ball. And historically, just for running backs, I mean, one target is equivalent to about 2.7 carries. That's just what we're dealing with in full PPR scoring. I sent out this uh, video and it was like, Devin Singletary, like rushing for 20 yards, like just breaking four tackles. And it was like, all right, that's two PPR points. And then here's Giovanni Bernard catching a check down and falling forward for 10 yards. That's also two PPR points. So, you know, style points really don't matter in fantasy. So from that standpoint, you can argue Dobbins workloads up there at day one. I think right now, PFF, we only project Derrick Henry to have more total touches on the season. I still have it, Christian McCaffrey, in full PPR, RB1, Jonathan Taylor, RB2. I just think that McCaffrey, he's the only guy that can catch 100-plus passes. I know it's a different quarterback under center, but we've seen, even in the Matt Rule era, them just wanting to feed him the ball time after time after time. I do wonder with Dalvin Cook, last year's really consensus, 102. I mean, that pick last year, no one would really blink about it. You know, shout out to you telling me back in March or April last time we talked that the Dalvin Cook legal issue uh, just wasn't going to really be a problem, at least for this year, because of things getting pushed back. It's also trending towards being the case for Alvin Kamara um, into uh, late September at this point. So I do think that kind of got Cook started off on the wrong foot and he's just been working his way up the rankings. I have him RB5 behind McCaffrey, Taylor, Henry and Eckler. Again, I think 102 is just a little bit steep when I have talked to doctors about some some of these running backs like McCaffrey and even Derrick Henry aren't the guys that I was concerned about. Like Dalvin Cook's shoulder is the one injury that a lot of these guys are just able to say, you know, it doesn't get better. And we have seen it be a lingering issue. And even if it is going to be just a couple games, I think it might be enough of a tiebreaker to prioritize some of these other guys. So it's a tier, not egregious. If you're a Vikings fan, you're in one draft, you want to draft Dalvin Cook at 102. Like, I don't think you're going to mess up the rest of your squad. I would have taken McCaffrey there. Well, he does have a shoulder injury that uh, has affected him in multiple seasons. I mean, so in 2019, he had this. Uh, I remember specifically when I saw this is how it, this is how like your squirrel brain works when you cover every game. <laughs> so like Derek Wolf retired and I was like, oh, yeah, the time Derek Wolf fell on uh, Delvin Cook and separated his shoulder or whatever, or whatever the injury was. And uh, then last year, him having that shoulder issue that he was able to play through 
but it's if, if it has the same problem again, it's going to keep him out or it's going to slow him down, uh, whatever it might be. It's just an accumulation for him. And that's what I was going to ask you. Like, I think you're smart to not buy in too much to the, well, this guy get bang, gets banged up all the time. But the Delvin Cook body of work, and I think also the reason that they drafted Madison, that they drafted Wong Wu, that they drafted Ty Chandler, is because they understand that it's probably not going to be 17 games. And in the second half of seasons, I, I do think they're going to try to be very much smarter about not allowing him to fall off in the second half of every season because that's what's happened before when they rode him into the ground early on and then he got dinged up. Yeah, and that really has continued to be an issue. And it's why workhorse running backs really don't exist anymore, man. In the year 2000, 19 different running backs had at least 300 touches. Last year, there were four. Now, there would have been a few more with guys not getting hurt, but that's also just a reality of the league. So I do wonder how much they're really going to do that, though, because Kevin O'Connell coming from Los Angeles. I mean, my God, I just had a study go up on PFF.com where I was looking at what teams like are actually willing to feature workhorse running backs and number one by far Pittsburgh Steelers, like whoever it's been over the years, like those guys barely leave the freaking field. I think Najee Harris last year alone had 11 games with over 90% of the snaps. No one else was over. I think even six, but the guys that were next were Sony Michelle and Daryl Henderson, who were basically splitting time last year as the Rams RB1. We saw the Todd Gurley role over the years. I do think that's probably what O'Connell has in mind for Dalvin Cook. But we'll see, man. That's what's so um we have a lot of these situations around the league now with Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and uh oh my gosh, I'm forgetting one. And, um Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and, and Matt LaFleur up in Green Bay. These brilliant offensive coaches who are now having their coaching tree go out. But when these guys leave, when we have Mike McDaniel in Miami now, Luke Getzey calling plays in Chicago, Kevin O'Connell, uh th- down here, and a couple more examples, like how much of what they are going to run is what McVeigh or Shanahan or LaFleur is running and how much are they now ready to go off on their own and run their own offense so it's always a little bit of a concern with that but you know in the Vikings offense I, I will say this like I'm just happy that we've now talked for 17 minutes and not brought up the Cooper Cup role who gives a shit about the Cooper Cup role this is Justin Jefferson man arguably the best start to a wide receiver career ever let's just stick with the Justin Jefferson role let him do his thing I'm more excited about Dalvin Cook never leaving the field. K.J. Osborne hopefully being on the field a lot more because of just the three wide receiver set usage bump, seeing the Vikings one of the lowest teams, Rams one of the highest, and we'll see how the injury is. Please be okay, Irv. But Irv Smith in the Tyler Higby role, he shouldn't really be leaving the field either. Folks, training camp is here, and there's no better way to represent your purple fandom by going to sodastick.com and checking out all their Minnesota sports-inspired goods. The best football designs, in my opinion, are Randy Moss's disgusting act and the purple people eaters look. But look, there's lots more for you to check out at sodastick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, t-shirts, hoodies, Hats, whatever you're looking for, use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER at checkout for 15% off your purchase. Yeah, um, no, I I think that with Irv Smith, I mean, there were times where, uh, you know, Kyle Rudolph would play like every single play, and I I don't think that's going to be a lot different. I I think that these offenses always love to have that guy. I mean, like Higby's pretty good, but if you have like a George Kittle or something, like they've always traditionally – 
Um, you know, love to have that guy who's, uh, let's see, Gary, Gary loved somebody. Oh, uh, Owen Daniels back in the day. Gary oh, Kubiak. Yeah, Absolutely love this man. He was in like three different places with Gary Kubiak. So <laughs> there's always been this thing about the tight end in these offenses. Now, since you, you brought up Justin Jefferson and the quote Cooper cup role, which so I'm glad that you, you we're seeing some things on the same page here. Cause my, my thing for this year has been, let's not change too much about what you do with Justin Jefferson. I know that the whole idea is the previous regime did everything wrong because they got fired and you're going to do everything right. But when a guy has one of the best starts to a career in history, you don't want to completely change his role around. But uh, in my fantasy draft simulation, what I have on the board here at ninth overall, I decided to make it a little harder on myself. Ninth overall is the top rated guys are Nick Chubb, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson and Travis Kelsey. So if you had to draft between Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson, what would you do? I still lean Cup just by a hair. He literally just had the best fantasy football season ever. And that's, you know, I'm mad about the Cooper Cup role and I'm mad about this year's Cooper Cup. So because and I, I know that we can add a little more context to it. This year's Cooper Cup can just be, you know, a good wide receiver with a quarterback upgrade who becomes great. Like, I'm fine if that's your entire uh, kind of argument with it. But like, no, I don't think someone else is going to have the best fantasy football season ever. And OK, take away the 17th game because people love to have a fit about this. Then all right, 1994, Jerry Rice, I believe, actually has the best fantasy season ever. Cooper Cup second, even if you take away that. So I think we can all agree. Pretty great season there. It's just a matter of the targets. We saw last year Cup get over 190, Justin Jefferson 167. So even if Jefferson is better than Cup, which I think is a very fine argument you can make, uh, I'll take the extra. 20 targets and it could even be more than that man like you look at the vikings offense and yes jefferson is uh definitively the number one but man adam thielen we know the connection he has with Kirk cousins you know having dalvin irv and osborne i think you can start to argue that there's just enough more target competition around jefferson minnesota than cup in los angeles stafford obviously having to get used to Allen robinson which i don't think is a bad thing necessarily a rob obviously one of the best route runners in the game when he's right uh but van jefferson now with the knee surgery obj out of the picture still i mean if there is one guy in the league that could have a target total starting with a two by the end of it it's cooper cup so uh to me i'm just taking that extra guaranteed target but uh or target volume i have them right next to each other though to me it's 1a 1b uh you could argue jamar chase 1c but you know neither cup nor uh, jefferson have a t higgins sort of guy in the offense we deal with so in terms of just being a monster and having that elite target volume cup and jefferson really in t- a tier of their own it is crazy because uh jefferson finished way up there in targets last year and there were still times where we felt like <laughs> you should have thrown it to him more but what what i think they're gonna change is when they throw it to him like start from the very beginning with our ideas to throw it to jefferson and he is also a better downfield wide receiver than cooper cup because he can moss people oh, and yeah. that's not really cooper cup's thing if you look at the average depth of target it's way different and if you took justin jefferson and said you're only going to run underneath I think that would be a big mistake. Cooper Cup is also unbelievable at yards after catch, like super, super stupid good. And, uh, you know, I think Jefferson's good at it. But, like, if someone can go 20 yards down the field and win half their contested catches, which Jefferson did last year, why would you say, no, no, you're going to run like choice routes for five to seven yards? <laughs> and then, right? Like, I just don't think that that's a good idea. And also, I, you know, how much. 
Can we give Kirk Cousins just a little bit of credit for one just great wide receiver putting up these numbers after another? I mean, there's only been 10 quarterbacks that have produced multiple top 12 PPR wide receivers in the same season over the last decade. Only three of them have done it more than once. And those three quarterbacks are Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers, and Peyton Manning. God bless him, did it three different times. So, look. Diggs, Thielen, Jefferson, these guys are all great, but they're also having a lot of great seasons with Kirk throwing the football. Again, 167 targets for Justin Jefferson last year. I believe that was second in the entire NFL. If not, it was easily top five. But week to week, you would think that Cousins is just, you know, really not helping Jefferson become the best version of himself at all. So it's one of these things where Vikings fans, you pay Cousins so much money. You guys haven't had the playoff playoff success you've been hoping for with some of these overall teams. So I get it. I get the Vikings fans' frustrations, just like I understand Browns fans being upset with Baker, uh, Eagles and Colts fans being relatively upset with Carson Wentz. But it is this weird phenomenon where when you have a quarterback who is not top 10 and but they're also not a bottom top 10 guy either. We have a really tough time just being like, yeah, he's okay. It's like, they're either great or they're terrible. And, uh, you know, hopefully Kirk cousins in this system weapons all over the place. Hopefully uh, he, he silences some of the haters this year. Cause it does seem like, man, you know, he, he has that walk-off touchdown. Like he, he never wins the big one. Then he does. He throws the game winner to root off against the saints. And then it's like, he loses next week. And then it's just, yeah, see, he can never win the big one. We just kind of forget about the good times. So. Well, he lost the next week and threw for like 160 yards on 40 attempts. I mean, it wasn't wasn't just that he lost. It was that it was the classic, like, where did he go? Um, But to your point, though, there was PFF data that I talked about early on the show um, this offseason once the QB annual came out about how Cousins on his first read is really terrific and anything else scrambling or like second, third read or whatever was not good at all. Uh, and I think that that's one of the reasons that if you're a top wide receiver, like who, if you're Kevin O'Connell, whom are you drawing up the plays for? <laughs> I mean, you're drawing up those plays for those guys. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a very complicated thing with cousins, but what it comes down to is if that's the only highlight that you have to speak of in four seasons with the most <laughs> expensive quarterback in the league, then the fan base isn't going to care that he delivers the ball to his top receiver, uh, you know, for fantasy and purposes. And, and right. That's why I said, I totally understand Vikings fans specifically yeah. being annoyed uh, with Kirk Cousins. So before you guys uh, hang me out to dry there, I feel your pain. And that's a good point with cut with uh, cousins. Just, when things are right, man, it can look pretty. When things go south, though, they really do start going south. I actually looked at the largest drop-off in yards per attempt. Went kept clean versus under pressure. Big three last year. Jameis Winston, who maybe, you know, we could argue that didn't even qualify because he didn't play that much. Then Kirk Cousins. And then Aaron Rodgers. So it's not just Cousins that has these problems. That You know, we do see Aaron Rodgers and, you know, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it's the most extreme example kind of of the stat uh, from year to year. But, yeah, hopefully. I mean, that was the big thing with me, man, looking at the coaching change. Like, yeah, the having a, the extra 11 personnel, maybe having a little bit more of a pass-happy offense will be nice. But, man, this low-key, Mike Renner said this in our offensive line rankings, like this sneak could be the best offensive line that Kirk Cousins has gotten a chance to play with. So, you know, give him an actual clean pocket. And not not to say he can't speed up his decision-making from time to time and do himself a favor there, but uh, I do really think that uh, this this passing game has some legit upside, man. There's a reason why Cousins is going right there alongside Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr. I mean, you know, the guy has 30-plus touchdown upside every single year, and if he gets a chance to really air the ball out – 5,000 yards is a lot, but I think he could finish up in the high fours. 
All right, so I have drafted Cooper Cup instead of Justin Jefferson because I'm buying Cooper Cup being pretty much the the decided option with nobody who's going to steal his uh, targets outside of a little Allen Robinson, but I'm going to go with him. And I mean, really, I think too, that's just that Adam Thielen has looked good in camp. And my expectation is that Kirk Cousins, when they get in the red zone, is looking at Adam Thielen and that defenses are looking at Justin Jefferson because <laughs> that's just been how it is. And I know that drives you guys crazy because it's like you want the top receiver in Jefferson, but then they get to the red zone and that's who everybody you know tries to stop, which I think was maybe, and I don't know this, you probably looked into this, but like the Julio Jones thing over years, it was like, oh, he never scores touchdowns. What's his problem? It's like, well, when you get in the red zone, they're going to put a couple of human beings on him and you just throw to somebody else. The Julio thing just he didn't even score 10 touchdowns in the season at Alabama, man. Like I went back, I did some digging one day. He got over 10 in high school. Like that would have been incredible. If high school Julio Jones couldn't even score 10 touchdowns in a season, but you know, we can all rest easy knowing that he got that. I don't I don't despise it, man. Justin Jefferson has plenty of uh, uh you know his. He can't get every single target out there. And Adam Thielen is the man. He is tied for third in receiving touchdowns over the past two seasons. Like again, I think with Thielen. He's, he's going to be 32. Like, I understand that he's probably played his best football at this point, but there's a lot of stuff being held against him that I don't think we are necessarily holding against some of the other old receivers. Like, Allen Robinson was terrible last year. He just was in an offense that Darnell Mooney was objectively much better in. He's going to be a number two with Matthew Stafford under center. Like, I think Stafford and Cousins are very similar in terms of how we can at least look at their offenses and them personally in fantasy land. And, you know, Adam Thielen, you could argue just a discount Allen Robinson with where they're going in drafts right now. So, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, Amari Cooper, like these are Cooper, of course, isn't that old as we always uh, joke about, but uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, he's going to be on the wrong side of 30 here. Going to already miss six games. Like, man, we're really taking that over Adam Thielen. Like, again, just with these injuries, with the injury stuff, and as we said before, like, I've seen the age trends and all that, and I've, you know, I think Mike Clay had a good tweet saying, like, there just hasn't been a wide receiver 33 or older to work inside the top 24 in recent memory. So, but when we see Adam Thielen going as, like, wide receiver 33, 34, if not later, like, I think that's what people miss sometimes. Like, that's already all being baked into his ADP. That's why he's as cheap as he's ever been. So, no, I'm not saying you should draft Adam Thielen as your wide receiver two, like we were doing a couple of years ago. But you could have a lot worse wide receiver fours, wide receiver fives on the squad. Yeah, and I think that just when we, when we talk about those underneath routes, that that's kind of going to be who he is in the future uh, or, you know, in this year and beyond that, even if you look at his average depth of target, like it's gone down, but I think it's kind of uh Anquan Bolden or Larry Fitzgerald ish nice. where, you know, the guy couldn't really afford to lose a step. He's probably lost a step, but he's still a tremendous route runner and his hands are top notch. He rarely has any drops. He makes contested catch, like all those things. So if he's still getting open and fits with some of these choice routes, a highly intelligent player, like there's a great fit here with him and Kevin O'Connell's offense that could still result in tons of passes his way. It's just that maybe he's not putting up like 12, 13, 1400 yards. Do you think he's going to be the primary slot or they just going to move all three guys kind of around? I think it's all three. Uh, but you know, when you look at the numbers though, like if you pull up, if you have it on your computer there, uh, KJ Osborne in the slot versus KJ Osborne, not in the slot. Pretty it's severe. a pretty stark difference. He was actually spectacular in the slot, but not so much as an outside wide receiver when he had to fill in for Adam Thielen. 
And I, I wonder if as they go along, they're going to look at the tape and be like, yeah, that might actually be better to just keep using him. It's kind of like maybe the previous coaching staff wasn't just like super <laughs> stupid. They, they, they knew that some of these skill sets of these players, Thielen and Jefferson can get open on the outside because they're top notch. And uh, Osborne is more of like, get the ball in his hands and he can make some plays. I, I did do a study on that earlier in the offseason. I remember Christian Kirk was the uh, biggest differentiator. Like in, in terms, of, he, when he was in the slot, he was making all sorts of plays out wide, not so much. So that kind of makes you wonder just uh, how smart it was for Jacksonville to give him that much money. But credit to Christian for getting all that dough. Jerry Judy was another one that was interesting because the one. The one great thing about, you know, the quote-unquote Cooper Cup role was the the job that Sean McVay did and just getting Cup matched up against linebackers and other covers defenders. So that was one of my biggest uh, pauses actually for Jerry Judy amongst a few other things uh, this offseason because Judy actually had the largest difference in yards per out run versus cornerbacks compared to any other primary coverage defender. So that's another thing to look at, man. Like it, it there are certain offenses where the jobs are made a lot easier. Hopefully the Vikings are now going to be uh, one of those. It's not easy to go, go, you know, take those five-step drops and, you know, thread the needle 20 yards downfield every single time. It looks great. Uh, I love the PFF big time throw metric, but uh, you know, shout out Kevin Cole on the PFF fantasy team. Said one time, the big time throws, it's more of like a descriptive metric sometimes. Like, you know, again, style points don't matter. If, if, if it's just a dump down to a wide open running back and he picks up 20 yards, that's the same thing as throwing it in between three defenders. And you could argue uh, taking, you know, the lesser path of resistance is actually probably uh, the better move in the long run. So, you know, there are guys like Justin Herbert who I do think it would make a lot of sense to see them up that average target depth. Like, come on, man. We, we, we can't have Justin Herbert, you know, throwing the ball downfield the same way as Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, that, that should be illegal here in continental America. But I do think that uh, there is something to be said for getting guys like Thielen, hopefully K.J. Osborne as well. Give him the ball in space and just let him go do their thing. All right, so we've gotten away from our draft sim a little bit, which is fine because we're having good discussions. But here's here's what I got on the board as far as suggested players for me in our fantasy simulation. Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Stefan Diggs, C.D. Lamb. I feel like there's very few good tight ends, so if you can get one, you should get one. But also, I think there's a chance that C.D. Lamb leads the entire NFL in receiving. Man, I'm. <laughs> what are we trapping on? This is crazy. CD Lamb and Stefan Diggs in the third. I mean, usually Cup and Jefferson aren't making it outside the top four picks. Um, also in that round two. But hey, we'll just build the the best draft of all time, I guess. I would probably still take Stefan Diggs here. I hear you on Mark Andrews, but and I don't hate Mark Andrews at the end of round two because there is kind of this soft spot of players where. It's like, okay, once we start getting to Mark Andrews, you start looking at the other guys going around him and you start asking like, okay, do I want Lamar Jackson's pretty much undisputed number one pass catcher? I mean, if you look at just the tight end projected targets, it's Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews and it's everyone else. So that really is a tier at the top. Credit to Andrews for knocking Kelsey off the perch as the overall tight end one last year. But, you know, Mark Andrews versus guys like, you know, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, Aaron Jones. I'm taking those running backs uh, for sure. It gets more interesting when it's guys like Joe Mixon, Javante Williams, who might have to share a backfield, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, guys that are having to adjust to the new quarterbacks. That's more so the area with Mark Andrews that I'm willing to maybe attack him. In this instance, though, let's go Stephon Diggs. I mean, everything we talked about earlier with Jefferson, Cup, and Chase, I mean, you could argue Diggs is right there in that tier as well. 
having that continuity, man. Like, yeah, it's fun to talk about the Devonte Adams and Tyreek Hill all offseason. We've had to talk about them because of the trades. I really think the guy, you know, the CeeDee Lambs and Stephon Diggs of the world who didn't change teams, didn't change quarterbacks or systems. Uh, we just have the guy getting better and better every single day out there. Really, at the end of the day, those are the ones we should be looking to target even more. So Stephon Diggs, my wide receiver four. My God, man, if he's there in round two, you should be hitting auto draft. So round three, got to do it. Okay, my first two picks, Cooper Cup and Stefan Diggs, are probably winning me a championship. I think I only picked like a 12-team league. How many teams are usually in a league? 12. That's cool. Okay. Then I just did well for myself. Okay, we've only done two picks. I guess in the Dalvin discussion, I thought we were also getting McCaffrey. That oh, was, yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, that so, makes yeah, more so sense. So far, we've <laughs> only done two picks, but we're doing well for ourselves. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll speed it up a little here with the next pick I've got on the board Zeke Elliott, David Montgomery, Josh Allen, and George Kittle are the uh, highest ADP players that are that are on my board here. Uh, are we thinking that Zeke Elliott is just bad and like he probably will give up some carries at this point? Because I think I think they're just gonna Emmett Smith this man, no matter how old he is or how inefficient it is. They're just gonna keep going with it. I think so too, man. And it is wild that Zeke, like he's gonna be. I think he already is the third best running back in Cowboys history, like Emmett, Tony Dorsett, and I think it's probably Emmett Smith. I know DeMarco had had his time. There's some, I'm sure there's some 60, 70 uh, guys that, you know, did their thing as well out there. Ron Perkins, I think, one, but man. Look at the numbers he's been putting up year after year. And last year, he tore his PCL in week four, man. He played through the pain. I just wonder, man, if Zeke had stopped playing after week four when he was averaging 5.3 yards per carry, you know, ripping off 3.4 yards after contact. If he just stopped playing after week four, how would we view the guy? I mean, Derrick Henry stopped playing after week eight, and, you know, we didn't care that his yards per carry was down like an entire yard from the year before. He was getting 30 carries a game, putting up fantasy points. And then when he didn't play, he was a zero like we weren't starting him and losing points so we didn't really care when deandre swift didn't play we didn't care when ezekiel elliott and shout out cordero patterson play through the pain not effectively all of a sudden we just kind of write it off and it is tough you know baker mayfield's another example like if they are healthy enough to get out there we got to kind of judge them like they're 100 percent. so it's not easy but in zeke's case i mean once again, don't hate the player, hate the ADP. Zeke right now, we're talking about in round three. He's available in a lot of even round fours at this point, which has never been the case, man. Even as a rookie, this guy was going round one or round two, uh, almost in 99% of the drafts you're going to find yourself in. So if Tony Pollard wasn't going to take over last year, when's it going to happen, man? Like, And you look at last year, and no, it wasn't good for Zeke, but even like the terrible version of Zeke from weeks five to week 18, you know, averaging 3.8 yards per carry and not doing his thing. Like he was still matching, if not surpassing where he's currently being ranked right now. Same thing actually with a uh, quarter Patterson. So yeah, RB 19 in PPR points per game from week five, the wild card round. And he's going as the RB 17 right now. So no, you're not going to be thrilled if Zeke is the RB 19 this year, but Hey, we had now again, for the first time ever have a chance to draft Zeke closer to his floor than his ceiling. I hope the answer is both because again, as we said before, Tony Pollard, get him in the slot, get him on the field instead of one of these just random ass backup wide receivers. You got out there. Tony Pollard last year did have over a thousand yards with Zeke playing 17 games. So that would be my one thing. Cause I've heard some people kind of equate Tony Pollard to an Alexander Madison type, but Madison's never coming close to a thousand yards. If Dalvin cook plays 17 games, I don't think Pollard is quite at the 
AJ Dillon level of maybe kind of having this backfield actually split, but you know, Kellen Moore, not a perfect offensive coordinator. I think we all saw the last call of uh, last season, but you know, he still, he still led the number one scoring offense last year. And I think he'd be awfully hard pressed to keep Tony Pollard off the field for too long. So long story short, I think the answer can be both. Shouldn't be the same lineup. Just one of those things stacking wise you don't want to do in redraft because if you're taking Pollard and Zeke on the same team, I know it looks good having the Cowboys backfield, but you're basically setting yourself up for your third or fourth round pick to crash and burn. That's not exactly the correlation that you're looking to kind of draw out there. So uh, handcuffs like Tony Pollard, I love kind of in that, uh, you know, round, hopefully seven or eight range. Uh, just be careful about who you're actually tying them to. So you're selling me on Ezekiel Elliott then. Is that what I'm taking away? Uh, yeah. Who are the other options? Uh, it was David Montgomery, Josh Allen, George Kittle. I would go Zeke here and hope that Kittle falls another round, but man, I've gotten Kittle around five over in some underdog drafts. Like that's, you can, you can get for my money's worth the best tight end alive in round five. I mean, PFF's reigning number one, highest grade tight end overall receiving grade. Like he's, he out targeted Debo Samuel in 2020 and 2019. It's not impossible for him to do uh, that again, especially if you just start thinking about the ways they could use Trey Lance, you know, more and more of those bootlegs where you're just dumping it down the kittle on the flat, letting him go be the absolute monster that he is. I do wonder if this could be a sneaky season with uh, George Kittle where we're like, my God, this dude was going around five and we weren't just scooping him up in every single draft. So we'll go Zeke now. Hope that kettle falls. Yeah. I think also, I mean, Trey Lance, if he's going to find a security blanket, like maybe it's your tight end. Um, and David Montgomery, I do wonder, it feels like they wasted David Montgomery with a bunch of shotgun runs up the middle. And the fact that he survived that, maybe if they're running more outside zone and stuff, he's got a better chance, but that's kind of a risk you're going to take when you know that, Dallas is absolutely going to love Zeke, even if he's he started to fall off. Uh, so on the next pick, we have, uh, I think we got to get a quarterback here. Maybe we get two running backs, but we got to get a quarterback probably. So I've got Herbert and Mahomes. There's one for you. Who do you think will have a better season, Herbert or Mahomes? I'll give the slight nod to Herbert at this point. I have him ranked one spot ahead of Mahomes. These are two of the top three. The top three quarterbacks all time in fantasy points per game are Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson would be up there, but he had those kind of like eight games as a rookie where he was playing like a backup role. So just enough to qualify, but then it's kind of hurting his uh, career numbers. But that's a story for another day. It's just, it comes down to the weapons, man. Maybe Juju, MVS, and you know, Number 24, Sky Moore can go make their thing happen out there. But with Herbert, just Keenan, Mike Williams, they brought in Gerald Everett, Eckler. I think Josh Palmer could have a nice second-year breakout. All in an offense that was willing to, again, you know, go for it on fourth down more than pretty much anyone, keep their foot on the gas in the passing game. I mean, dude, I was looking at it. It's some uh, insane number. I want to say Herbert threw the ball in week 18 like 79 times last year like it was just an absolutely bonkers number so the only concern is that uh joe lombardi really had herbert kind of running the old man drew Brees type of offense again his average target depth was that low okay it was 64 times 79 is ridiculous ian but 64 still uh, uh still pretty lofty up there but uh with herbert mahomes you're getting a little bit of a rushing floor not a huge one i guess i'm just more confident in herbert having the uh volume advantage but man this afc west in general like just going to be one shootout after another with those dudes russell wilson and Derek carr 
and they're matched up against the NFC West as their other uh, division. So, and a lot of uh, best ball conversation. If you play over underdog fantasy, their their best ball mania tournament is basically. You need to qualify, and then in week 17, first place of that week gets $2 million. Second place gets $1 million. So there is reason to kind of look ahead to week 17 matchups and try to plan ahead on that, and that's been a lot of discussion that has annoyed me a little bit uh, th- throughout the offseason. But I do think the correlation and stacking kind of games – more so is by doing it in these divisions, just exposing yourself to these shootouts that are going to have one, you know, over under in the fifties after another. So I lean uh, Justin Herbert here, but it really is a toss up, man. I mean, Mahomes, he's been cheaper than this before, like coming in as a rookie and stuff, but it's never been this easy to stack him with some of his wide receivers. Obviously you got to use, you know, a first round pick, maybe very beginning of the second round to get Travis Kelsey, but Juju going as, you know, like a, still a wide receiver three MBS sky more Miko pretty much left for dead way, even further down the ranks. So Justin Herbert for now uh, it's again, this is a big tier at the top. I think Josh Allen and Kylo Murray, those are my top two. And then it's Herbert Mahomes, Lamar in some order. Okay, so uh, we didn't get to kickers and defenses, <laughs> oh, which no. is just a shame because I really wanted to go through all the kickers. But I think we've got oh, kind of God. the bones of our team there for the most part. And a lot of interesting discussion. It was really about the talks we had along the way. It's that, that that's what it is. <laughs> That's that's what fantasy is. It's about the drafts and the friends you had along the way. Get kickers not- out of your fantasy league too, man. Like that's and, and people always come at me. They, they think I hate kickers because like the scoring's random. Like no, I I'm cool with defense being in the league. Like kickers shouldn't be in real life or fantasy football. Like, that's <laughs> that's where my beef comes. They make the games worse. These people take three steps and they kick a ball and they want to be carried off the field for doing their job after the game. Like my freaking goodness. Like we think running backs take up too much. Glory from the offensive line. How about freaking kickers, man? And just from the start of their career to the end, this is, you know, a soccer player that shows up to practice for 10 minutes a week, can't do anything else. The most one, I'd argue it's the most one dimensional job in all of the major sports. So, uh, yeah, I'm done with them. I am very thankful that there are very few kickers still in my leagues. And my God, man, the leagues that have kickers that you can put them in the flex, like how much do you have to hate yourself in order to have a league that lets you put a kicker in the flex? My God. <laughs> um, I have nothing to add to that rant <laughs> other, other than you are speaking to Vikings fans who have been tortured by these kickers oh. over many years. Oh, uh, so lot, lots of kicks. If not for kickers, they may have, I don't know, a Super Bowl. Hard to say. So you're you're uh you're you're making people happy with your answer. Oh yeah, you, you're going really back there. I thought we were talking about the Blair Walsh project for a second, but yeah, well, I, I mean I, they, I guess there's they, a bigger they would one. have gone deeper in the playoffs, and then who knows? But uh yeah, I was going Gary Anderson. But there didn't, you have other- a, didn't you have a take on the Gary Anderson one? I I thought I saw you had some hot take about how they were gonna Maybe it was like they were just going to win the Super Bowl if he made that kick. I, oh, I yeah, 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 sure. No, we discussed that. Yeah, would would that, like, there's a bunch of times where they've come close and, like, which was the best okay. chance. And 98 is probably it. Maybe 87 because the team that was in the Super Bowl against them, Denver, in 87 was not very good and, and got destroyed by Washington in that Super Bowl. So, you know, the, the Broncos in 1998 were pretty unbelievable and they were kind of on a collision course the whole season. It was disappointing that they were going to play a lesser Falcons team, but still 
looking at that team, it's yeah, I think that they do. Is that is that a hot take? Like that there was a 15 and one team. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a hot take at all. It's uh man, that would have been that would have been a much, that would have been a funner Super Bowl, I think, than uh than, than we got. But you know, shout out uh Jamal Anderson, the dirty bird, and you know, some of the things that Falcon Squad was able to do too, I guess. So you were having fun this whole time, and then you just have to bring <laughs> this up and then crush everybody's soul, right? At Sorry, the end. guys. All right, listen to Ian's podcast <laughs> where he makes fun of your um kicker misses. Um, no, a fantasy football podcast on PFF and, uh, you're writing at PFF.com. Always great to get uh, together with you, man. And we'll see, I'll give you the health updates as they come. Uh, I think it should be nothing serious, but we'll find out as we go along. And, uh, I appreciate you. You've always got very creative angles and fun, different ways to look at the NFL than like the beat reporter that, that I am. So I appreciate you, man. Follow him on uh, Twitter at Ian Hart. It's right. You haven't added like PFF or underscore or anything <laughs> weird. Uh, I think it was like Mina Kimes was joking about that. Um, she was like, so when PFF hires an employee that is like forced them to like a first thing, I have to go change your uh, Twitter handle. No, I, uh, I'm not changed that. Even George, uh, boss man, George uh, was saying that he doesn't want that anymore. He said it feels too much like a cult. So um, <laughs> I, I, I am not going to go out of my way to change it, but it is funny, man. I got, cause you know, my last name, hard hits. You can say it sounds like hard tits. I was called tits for the first 25 years of my life wow. basically. And when my account got suspended briefly on Twitter for, I was tweeting out like in-game highlights and I was beating, beating the NFL channel to it. And they didn't really appreciate that. So they had to suspend me. Uh, and I remember, I was trying to get some help from the industry to get my account unsuspended. And someone was just like, yeah, maybe don't have your handle. Sounds so much like a porno name. So uh, maybe if I did have PFF in there, uh, it'd be better for my career, man. But we'll just leave it at iHeartits for the time being. Okay. Well, you're, well, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Other than those <laughs> natural issues. And, uh, I mean, the fact that that nickname lasted for that long is kind of impressive that it got past high school, but, uh, you know, Bro, that was the wild part. Like, Columbus, Ohio high school. I go to college in Chicago and don't know a single person. And it, it was seamless. Didn't even miss a day really, but you know what? It ended up being more embarrassing for the people yelling it across the quad, like trying to get my <laughs> attention than it actually was like for me to respond to it. So it's all good. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm just going to, I thought, you know, after the kicker rant, I thought you couldn't top it, but then you did. So, uh, Ian, you're the best man. Thanks for all the time. This was really fun. And, uh, we'll do it again soon. Thank you, man. Good talking to you as always.